Welcome back to you all for another episode of Let's Get Talking Series 2. We move on to episode 4, but before we do, a big thank you as always to the continued support and love you always bring to the show. Now for this episode, I'm joined by Oliver Seligman, who took time to speak to me last week all the way from Oslo in Norway. And before the episode does start, I just want to apologise because I did have a cold when we were recording the episode, so you might hear that in my voice but hey can't do a lot about it um oliver's journey is one i'm really honored to be sharing with you all uh it's especially as it's a mental health experience and condition that i haven't covered on the show so far oliver discusses at length his battle with bipolar takes you through his remarkable journey so please sit back relax and i hope you enjoy let's get talking episode four series two with oliver seligman Hello one and all and welcome to series two episode four of Let's Get Talking. As you would have already heard I'm really excited to be joined by today's guest whose story I think is one of great inspiration, motivation but it also covers the real lows of mental health and the battles and the experiences that people are facing. So Oliver Seligman welcome to Let's Get Talking. I, how are you I suppose? Let's start with that. I'm very well, very well. Enjoying, enjoying life. Good, great to hear. Um, I always like to start by giving my listeners a little bit of a picture and, you know, a little bit of imagery to to where we are. I, I always record in my spare room. I'm based in the UK at the moment. Whereabouts are you in the world right now? I'm in my flat in Oslo with my wife, who's downstairs hiding. <laughs> hiding away. <laughs> yeah. What time is it there at the moment? Because we're here, we're well, just coming up to quarter to six in the evening. So. Yeah, quarter to seven. It's an hour ahead. Hour ahead. Okay, amazing. Well, the listeners won't know, we sort of connected over Instagram like I I do with a lot of my guests. And um, your story was one that, A, definitely jumped out to me because of the journey that you've been on, but also because of the um, condition that you you are going to talk to us about and that you've wrote the book about and everything. And bipolar is something we haven't covered on the podcast yet. So I'm really excited to be able to have you on the show and, and share your journey and I'm re- really grateful for that um I know it's bipolar one isn't it just just so I get that correct yeah yeah bipolar one so I've just got your book in front of me so again for the listeners out there that aren't exactly aware or haven't heard of it before I'm just going to read the description that you've put about bi- bipolar one disorder in in your book so you wrote defined by manic episodes which last at least seven days or by manic symptoms that are so severe the person needs hospital care usually depressive episodes occur as well typically lasting at least two weeks an episode of depression with mixed features depressive and manic symptoms at the same time are possible as a psychotic episode so that gives our listeners a little bit of an introduction into, into bipolar one disorder but and as we said that's what your story and your journey is is of course centered around before we discuss your experience of that um and being diagnosed diagnosed at 17 years of age can you give us a little insight into your i suppose your early childhood really and growing up and were there any sort of signs and symptoms in your early stages of life from that and i suppose what was your childhood like really yeah, that's a good question. I, I would have said that my childhood was a very happy one. I got very loving parents and uh, we lived in the countryside in Scotland. So I had a very free life, just running around, playing, climbing trees, really very free life. Actually, it was fantastic. 
but as a as a child I was pretty highly strung and even every, every so often my mum would take me home from school and keep me back for a day or two just to kind of calm down and ground myself because I got so yeah so stressed out so kind of into whatever I was doing so I think that was maybe a, a sign um, but generally I, I think I had a really great childhood but I do remember that my mind was was pretty brutal I remember finding it quite hard to relax and quite hard to enjoy myself unless I was really busy so if I was kind of left to my own devices and just with nothing to do I would kind of notice how much I was just thinking about stuff and how fast my mind was and then whenever I was occupied I kind of forgot about it. So it started I suppose like you say that having that early well it sounds obviously a great childhood like you say roaming free and and just being quite free but is that when you started to maybe I don't suppose notice at that stage but in terms of you know those little moments that you say when you you weren't occupied and you started to like you, you said there, your mind was being brutal. Was that sort of the first thing you, you started to think, okay, maybe something isn't, isn't quite right here or you weren't sure what was happening? No, I don't think I thought anything about myself probably mm. until after the first episode when I was 17. I don't think I ever kind of questioned the way I was. I, I know I didn't like feeling scared or uptight, but I never sort of questioned it. I had no awareness of mental illness or anything like that. I suppose, and that's a, a good point to start on, uh, obviously, as we've moved through certain years and, and we're, we're still not there yet, but we're at a stage where different mental health experiences and conditions are spoken about a lot more than maybe they were back then. Um, and as you mentioned, your first episode and the diagnosis came around the age of 17. In terms of the diagnosis and, and as, as like you said, the episode, what was that process like? And not to presume, but I'm guessing it was obviously a, a very difficult stage and a very difficult time for you and especially after you've just said of what was a great childhood yeah I was in my my final year of school so I was getting ready for my A-levels and I remember going home for the the Lent holidays so the Easter holidays and rather than sort of doing some revision as most most of us were meant to do I started to convince myself that I was a genius and I didn't need to there's no problem and I pretty much forgot about the exams and then I came back the next term and I suddenly realized my A-levels are starting in a week's time and I've done nothing, haven't opened a book. And I had been on a bit of a kind of euphoric high before then. I've been feeling great. I had a lot of like blissful feelings and, and just feeling like on top of the world. And suddenly it all morphed into what I call in the book um, an, a more of an anxious mania. And so suddenly I noticed I had just hundreds of thoughts in my mind. Most of them were negative. I was very, very stressed out, very, very fearful. And I was trying to cram for these exams and I was getting worse and worse and worse. And somehow I managed to get through the exams. And I thought, you know, I got to go home because that traditionally was always where I kind of chilled out and felt sort of safest. And I went home, but the, my mind just continued and it kept just getting faster and faster and more and more paranoid. And I ended up having uh, a psychosis where I had uh, given uh, a, a girl a, a lift home from a swimming pool with, that I'd been swimming in and I dropped her off and, and I quite fancied her, but I didn't have the, the guts to do anything about it, to ask her out, whatever. So I dropped her off and I drove home and suddenly I was hit by all this guilt and this kind of like terror that I was going to be arrested by the police for, for raping her. 
even though nothing had happened. And this just snowballed and snowballed and snowballed. And I ended up going to a mental hospital in Edinburgh for, I think it was about two months, two and a half months, something like that. Wow. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. And brings me on to sort of what I was going to ask you to sort of speak about a little bit more there quite um, nicely in terms of the different treatments and the different, um, I guess, places you visited as well for said treatments. Um, you obviously mentioned your, your time in Edinburgh there, but correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you spent time in mental health hospitals in Norway, Australia and the U UK. What were those experiences like? And I guess what happened in between you traveling from these different places, did it sort of keep spiraling from the age of, you know, 17, 18? Well, what happened was after my first experience in the Royal Ed, uh, which is the, the hospital in Edinburgh, I spent about a year and a half trying to sort of be okay without medication or just with a little medication, because obviously as a 17 year old, the psychiatrist didn't want to put me on anything that I'd have to be on for the rest of my life. So, but unfortunately that didn't work. And I kept getting these depressive episodes and feeling anxiety and stuff. So when I was 19, my psychiatrist suggested that I went on a, a drug called lithium and I jumped at the chance. I thought, why not? And lithium worked very well for me for at least 10 years. It, it stopped the depressions and it stopped the manias. I still experienced a lot of hypomania, but to be honest, I thought that was just me and so did everyone else. So I was the life and soul of the party a lot. I had a lot of fun. I got into a lot of trouble. I got arrested a couple of times. I spent ridiculous amounts of money. Sometimes I, was really promiscuous, although that was pretty normal at uni. Um, and then probably after about 10 years or so, I got into a situation where I was surrounded by a lot of people who were quite anti-medication. And I started listening to them and I started sort of naively sort of believed them when they said, well, you can try this, you can try that and do this and do that, do that. And so I tried to come off my medication three or four times and it was, it was a disaster every time. Um, now, when I talk about medication, I'm not someone who is pro-medication or anti-medication. I'm, I'm a great believer that mental illness is a pretty individual thing. And the most important thing is that people try to stabilize their mental illness with the help of people who know what they're doing. I think that's like the kind of the, 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 the ground base, base camp or whatever. But for me, I'd been, uh, I'd been on, on lithium for a long time and I ended up just having a lot of psychosis, a lot of depressions. Um, I actually got sectioned when I was in Australia, having wandered around the flat I was in completely naked, rolling around in the garden in front of the neighbours who were having a barbecue, thinking I was Jesus. And then going up onto the, the roof of, of the house just in, my, in my, my trousers and convinced I could fly. And I literally stood on the edge of the roof, probably five or six meters above the concrete, um, going to jump to fly. And for some reason, I didn't. I don't know why, but I just didn't. Um, and so the police turned up a, a couple of hours later and they, they took me to a mental hospital where I was, I was there for, I think, two weeks in Australia. Wow. I mean, in one of the sections of your book, um, which obviously we'll talk about in a little bit more detail shortly, but there is quite a um, long sort of chapter extract about medication. And, and like you said there, I didn't get the impression that you were either pro or anti, but like you, like you wonderfully said there, mental health is a very individual thing. Um, and, and one thing that actually that I've experienced recently, just before Christmas, I had a bit of a, 
I describe it as a bit of a lull moment, you know, a bit of a low moment. Um, and I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. And I was just stuck in a rut. And I thought, well, I can't really have a podcast called Let's Get Talking and not talk to anyone about it or, you know, practice what I preach. So I spoke to my um, doctor and just explained and, and, you know, they spoke to me. And one of the things they said pretty much straight off the bat was about medication. And like you said, to some people, that might be a thing. But to me, it was a individual thing where I was a little bit lost and a little bit low and that that medication word I was like right okay I need to go away and and read about this so it's an interesting point to make I think we're still at that stage now aren't we where a lot of people may be on one side of the coin for medication and the other side so to hear your personal experience and also your views on it is is brilliant um so what sort of happened I guess leading from that moment when you were sectioned in Australia was that into like a mental health hospital over there? Yeah, I went into, I guess you'd call it like a, a crisis clinic. Mm. Uh, they gave me antipsychotics, which brought me back to earth. But very often after a manic episode, um, it's very common for people to get very depressed in their bipolar. And, and so I got, I got depressed after that. And I came back home in Australia and I was still in a pretty, a pretty bad way. Um, but it took me probably... Yeah, probably took me three or four months that time to kind of get back to normal, um, which actually is quite quick. Yeah, I think that's one. Th when I was reading, started to read through your book, um, the listeners obviously won't know that you very kindly sent me a copy and it um, landed with me a few days ago. So I'm still working my way through it. Um, but that was one thing I, I hadn't really a lot of experience or knowledge, I guess, around bipolar. Um, and when I started to read a little things like you say, obviously, I didn't know really much about it and much about the episodes and how long they could last for. So for hearing, what did you say? The four months is quite, quite quick to sort of come down from one or? Yeah, I mean, my, my experience has been, again, it's just my experience, but my experience has been that after a serious psychosis, for example, it could take two or three years for my brain to get back to normal, mm. to actually being able to concentrate and function um it certainly didn't take that long to get back to being okay in myself but it does feel like um my nervous system takes quite a quite a belt from it you know from an episode but again it's individual I mean some people yeah. bounce back quite quickly and I guess obviously from those experiences you've, you've spoken about obviously in Scotland and also over in Australia and obviously the ones that would have happened in between what was sort of your it's a bit of a, I suppose a bit of a difficult question but you're obviously experiencing that as yourself but did you have a lot of sort of a, a support network around you with that or was it very much a individual battle and you were sort of left by yourself to sort of battle it or did you have a lot of support around you well interestingly enough when I the, the first time I tried to come come down off medication I started hallucinating really quickly and I started seeing my friends become dragons and chase after me. So very, very quickly, I ran, ran up to my room and I started taking the lithium again. Mm. And fortunately, I was, I was okay. Within a couple of days, I was much, much better. And I tried that twice. Um, and it was the same result twice. So I didn't have a psychiatrist. I'd never doctor I was talking to, which looking back was really foolish. Mm. But um, so I had a support network in that I had a lot of people around me, but not very many people knew what I was doing and I had no medical support, which was, yeah, I should have done. 
then when I went to Australia, which is probably, I don't know, two or three years after that, I just decided, well, if I learn my medication really slowly, then I'll probably be okay. Because that's what people said. They said, oh, if it didn't work, just you need to do it more slowly. These were people who didn't know what they were talking about, but they were kind of alternative healers and, and practitioners and stuff like that. Um, so I just, without telling a soul, started lowering my medication. And I finally came off the lithium completely, probably after about, I'm guessing, six or seven months. And I went completely mad, as I've described earlier. I just became a completely different person and thought I was an angel and Jesus. Mm. Um, the episode's written about it in my book, and it's pretty, it's pretty dramatic. Um, but again, that time I had no medical support either. So this was at the age of probably, probably the age of like between 28 and, and 32. Um, but it was so strange. It's like I never thought about it. I, I didn't have enough maturity or distance from the illness or, or basic knowledge of the illness, really, to say, oh, no, this is actually quite a serious thing. Um, and the people I talked to were kind of like, well, it's OK, you know. Yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah, very yeah, interesting. Quite, yeah. A, quite an opportunity to grow up, you know. Mm, definitely. And as you know, obviously, on the on the podcast and one of the reasons why we're talking now is obviously we love to share you know these experiences and but also the positives and the and the recovery um and i'm just going to pick up your book right now and flip to chapter 13 if i can find it very quickly because this is when you start to talk about your recovery and your acceptance of of bipolar and i think the chapter i don't want to i'm going to I don't want to guess just in case I get it wrong, but I'm going to go for acceptance is along the lines of key, acceptance, the key to recovery. There we go. So when I was flicking through the book, because obviously I needed to get through it quite quickly for, for chatting with you, that was one of the things I really wanted to bring up and talk to you because I, I and I know you, you spoke about that on your social media and your website and things like that is I believe when you started to accept the condition into your life, things started to sort of change for you. So how did your relationship with bipolar go from, you know, as you've just so openly talked about these manic episodes and in different mental health um, hospitals and crisis centres, how did it go from that to being able to sort of live with it and accept it, I suppose? Yeah, that's a cool question. Um, I mean, I think when I first got diagnosed, I thought that I accepted it mm -hmm. and I took, I took lithium and I just got on with my life. I didn't, read about bipolar I didn't join any support groups I did didn't eat particularly well I didn't do anything to support my mental health because I just didn't even think about it I was quite I was quite hypermanic for many years so that was probably part of it but also back in the day it was very much you know take these pills and you should be fine mm. and I quite appreciated that approach funnily enough because it meant that I got on with my life and I still you know took risks sometimes and I still went abroad and traveled and and did things that I wouldn't necessarily have done if I'd felt that at any moment I could be mentally ill or if people had kind of treated me like uh, someone who was really mentally ill, you know? So that was cool. But, and if you'd asked me if I accepted it, I'd have said, yeah, yeah, totally. Of course I accept it. But I kind of accept it in this very kind of, it's quite funny when I talk about it, but this very kind of arrogant way mm. where I basically thought I've faced this incredibly hard mental illness and I've overcome it aren't I brilliant <laughs> yeah you know so that was the start and as you can see that that attitude is maybe not that healthy and um could easily 
lead me to underestimating the illness, which I then did in the following years when I tried to come off it and, and didn't do, I didn't really do anything the right way. But the cool thing was, was that I guess I, I went through a really bad period of about four and a half years where I'd come off my medication, but I just kept getting ill and kept getting psychotic. And physically, I was a complete mess from detoxification from medicines and side effects. And it was really a tough time. But one morning, it was like I woke up and suddenly the penny dropped. And it was like I'd accepted bipolar without actually even choosing to accept it. It's almost like it had arrived, this kind of attitude of acceptance. Mm. Um, and I remember coming out into um, our living room and my wife was there and I was a complete mess. It was about 11 o'clock in, in the, you know, before midday. And I started laughing and I was hobbling out because I was in such a bad way physically. And I started laughing. And she said, why are you laughing? Because she hadn't seen me laughing very much in the previous four and a half years. Mm. And I said, well, because by this stage, I'd actually kind of stabilized myself mentally. You know, I was actually quite, quite happy, even though physically I was a mess. And I said to her, I've just realized that whatever happens to me physically, like even if this doesn't get any better, I'm fine because I'm happy. And being happy is the most important thing. And that was a huge part of acceptance for me. Because I've noticed a lot in, in, you know, in the modern world and particularly on social media and the way we look at life, a lot of us, myself including, are kind of programmed to try to create the perfect life. And we kind of think that we can create the perfect life. Now, of course, some people can. It sometimes happens. We have periods in our lives that go really well. But this idea that I could be really stable without medication side effects being able to do whatever I wanted, but still avoid episodes. It wasn't realistic. Mm. And, and so I came to this conclusion that I really need to start looking after myself and learning about bipolar and learning how to stay well, not just for me, but for my family. And it was a, it was a really cool experience. And it's not an experience that I think anyone can be forced to do. You can't say, oh, you've just got to accept your illness, you know. But I do think that by talking about it, people suddenly think, oh, maybe I can accept that part of my life. Maybe I can accept that I'm really no good at that or that I did something you know, bad 10 years ago and I don't need to keep beating myself up. And that kind of just sort of suggesting it to people, I think, can lead to a lot of people accepting their life in a very positive way mm. without having to kind of force themselves to accept it and basically faking it, which I think is pretty miserable. Yeah, definitely. And like, like you said, being, it's it's definitely not something that you can just force yourself to do is to accept things. Like I mentioned previously, obviously on a very um, lower scale to, to what you experienced, but obviously before Christmas. And it was a similar moment, actually, in the new year, sort of a, a penny drop moment. And I, and I said, right, OK, like I've had a bit of time now where I've been in, you know, in a, stuck in a rut almost and a bit low and, I, and then... I, I can't even describe what happened on the day it was just like I just thought right okay I'm just gonna have to start accepting a few things and if I don't like them what how can I look at them differently and started to read a little bit more about just you know gen like I mentioned to you I've started to look into sort of a little bit of meditation and, th and things like that and it's actually started to make me look at lot lots of things in, in a more positive way by just sort of taking a step back and going okay well that's what it's going to be and this is what it's going to be but how can we how can you just accept it and say right okay you know um so it's, yeah it's definitely an 
strange experience, like you said, and and for you especially. Um, so let's get on to the book that you very kindly sent me, which I'm just going <laughs> to hold up now, um, which after this, obviously, conversation, I'm, I'm really excited to delve into even further. Um, but what I've read so far, is, you know, is really powerful and really inspiring as well, actually. But what started the process off of the book? Was it, you know, another sort of penny drop moment where you thought, this is a great idea or was it did you have time to reflect on everything that you've been through and thought I want to share this how did it come about well it was courtesy of COVID actually Mm. yeah lockdown started and I thought I want to write a book I want to write a book about my experiences with bipolar so I just got cracking and my wife helped me a lot and two or three in fact three friends helped kind of proofread it and yeah together we created what I think is a good book Mm. yeah how was that process for you in terms of obviously as well with the added situation of a lockdown as well where it might have been more difficult to step away from it I suppose you know there's not a lot not much else was going on during lockdown was it a truly positive experience to look back on everything and reflect it and get it down on paper or did you have times like was there difficult moments in it when you were creating it well it was it was one of the coolest experiences of my life in so many ways. Um, it was really, really good to get things down on paper and to read quite a lot of journals about bipolar and learn more about bipolar. That was that was quite cool. Um, it was really good to have purpose throughout lockdown, to have something that I was working on that I believed in. Um, we were quite lucky in Oslo because although we had lockdown similar to the UK, there are there are so there's so fewer people. And it's pretty easy to get out to to nature. And they kept the cafes open for takeaways the whole time, which is really cool. So you could always kind of get out and, you know, stretch your legs and whatever. But also, I think, you know, because I've been through the stuff with bipolar and I'd, I'd managed to sort of find peace with it. I think that my general attitude to life is more relaxed and accepting. And, and I, I, I always try and find humor in everything I can. I mean, I've got a really, really inappropriate, dark sense of humor. And I love mm about inappropriate things it's just it's just so much fun you know the kind of the whole uh, Ricky Gervais uh, approach to life mm. you know you really just refuse to take things too seriously um, in a world that is you know is taking itself a bit too seriously I reckon at the moment mm. so all in all that was cool but then I had a really cool experience with it where I I met up with quite a few of my old school friends who I'd been at times I'd been very mean to or I'd I'd let them down or I just yeah, I'd just been a bit of a, a bit of a dick. And I actually apologized to them. And I just said, look, I'm really sorry. And, you know, I was going through this manic stuff, but, you know, even so I'm really sorry I was mean to you and I just want to let you know. And it was the coolest experience to see like two of them, to see their shoulders just kind of just relax. And as I said, I'm sorry. And I really meant it for something just to heal between us. Um, and so I got a lot closer to a lot of my old friends and also to my parents because I kind of showed the book to them, discussed it with them, and they gave me their feedback. So all in all, the whole project was, uh, it was a very loving project. It was just, it was just cool. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it was very valuable as well. Like you said, like you mentioned with your friends there and being able to share it with you. I think it's one thing that most people in the world would love to do, would, to be, to write a book and whether it's about their experiences or something completely different what was that moment like when you held the first copy I have to ask yeah oh it's really good it's yeah. really good um 
yeah, I felt great. And I realized, um, I didn't realize how positively the book would be taken when I'd finished it, but I knew it was good, mainly because my wife's a really good editor. Mm. And, um, <laughs> but it was just cool. It was just like, oh, finished, great. And the thing I guess I really like about it is that it's leading to a lot of opportunities for me. Mm. And it's also a book that is designed, it's not designed to like advise people on mental health or anything like that, because I'm not a doctor, I'm not trained in mental health but it gets people thinking about it. And I think it inspires people and gets them kind of interested in their own lives and what's going on in there with them, even if they haven't got any mental problems, because a lot of the approaches that I sort of finally learned after a very long time being stubborn and ignoring it, um, are just generally useful for people in their life, you know? And like you said, it's opened up a lot of opportunities for you. And I know that you've, um, recently i think you've done quite a lot of sort of mental health talks and things like that is that something that you're looking to sort of build on in the future in, in terms of coming from the book is that is that a direction you would like to go down i would love to do that mm. i i put on my sort of uh, linkedin and uh, instagram inspirational speaker mm. because i've been doing talks uh, concerning meditation for the last 20 years about how to find more peace and how to calm the mind but in the last like three years, I've been doing some talks for psychiatrists and psychologists in hospitals in Oslo and also for people with bipolar. And that's been incredibly rewarding. Mm. And to sit like in a room and talk to people with bipolar about my experience. And one of the reasons I like doing it is because I don't consider myself to be this expert who's going to tell them about bipolar. It's more like I'm going in there and I'm sharing and I'm also interested in what they have to say because I, I've got just as much to learn as they have. It's, it's very, very likely that. And so there's something kind of connecting about that, about connecting with people who really have experienced what I've experienced. It's just freaking awesome. I yeah, I, I mean, I love the book. Like I said, I've, I've sort of flipped through bits. I've read the first little bit properly, but it's something I'm a really big fan at the moment. And it's something that I'm trying to do more is reading books like these I've got a couple on sort of meditation and little things like that to try and educate myself a little bit more but then also like you say find some inspiration within and I really like the way the book's um, structured and, and the way you describe certain experiences and I have to say I love the quotes that start off each chapter I think that's something it gives you not only are you reading about your journey and your experiences but the quotes at each um, start of each chapter really help you almost to reflect a little bit and give yourself a little bit of um, inspiration. So no, I, I love it. And people can find it on Amazon, can't they? Befriend, uh, befriending Bipolar Patients Perspective, Amazon. Please get it because it's brilliant. And yeah, I don't have to say anymore. I've got it in my hand and it's great. So just please buy it, everybody. Um, you mentioned meditation a little bit there and it's something I wanted to actually talk to you about. So that's a brilliant um, thing to talk about now. Um, like I said as well, it's something that I'm, very new to and I'm looking into it and I'm trying my best to sort of you know give it a go I suppose and I think it's coming up a lot isn't it in social media and, and as a way of either coping with what you're experiencing or just a, a daily practice is that something you came across during sort of your stages of acceptance and recovery or is that quite a new practice to you? Uh, it's funny because I've actually written another book about that um, called The Broker Who Broke Free because I was, uh, I got a job as a sales trader at uh, two American banks, and I really didn't like the job. I was not suited to it. But ironically, 
uh, or so I've read, a lot of people with bipolar, you know, it'd be good for them to get jobs that are kind of nurturing and that really allow them to, you know, chill and take time off if they need to, whatever. But often we're attracted to really stressful jobs because that's kind of almost a bit like the bipolar side is this intensity, you know. Um, and so I end up on this trading floor in London and New York, which is one of the most stressful places, offices you can work. You know, it's obviously not like being a fireman or anything, but <laughs> as far as wearing a suit is concerned, it's pretty stressful. And it wasn't good for me and I didn't like it. And so I ended up quitting. And there's quite a cool story about that in the book. But anyway, I went back up to Scotland to sort of lick my wounds a bit at my parents' house. And uh, I was getting a massage from, from this guy in, in, uh, in Scotland, like a shiatsu massage. And he kept telling me about this meditation. And it's this ascension uh, meditation taught by the Bright Path. And he, um, he kept talking about it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, dude, just, just please be quiet. I just, <laughs> I just want to de-stress, you know. But he kept talking, kept talking. And we got to the end of the massage. And he was a really nice bloke. And I, I, with hindsight, I really appreciate what he told me. But at the time, I just shook his hand and he said, oh, you know, make sure you look up that meditation. And I was like, yeah, no way. And in my head, I was like, no way. No way I'm doing that. I can't meditate. But anyway, I then had four, what I call in the book, brushes with death. I had four experiences where I either nearly died or I thought I nearly died, was going to die, or I was kind of seriously threatened. And after the fourth one, um, I just knew I had to learn this form of meditation because again, it was one of these penny drop moments that you were mm. talking about where I was just like somehow, and I don't understand this, but somehow I'm creating or contributing to all this chaos in my life because I know my mind is, is, is just barking mad. You know, I know I just have a hundred thoughts a minute and there's too much going on up there. And so I flew back to the UK to, to Glastonbury, actually, which is like the home of the New Age movement. Mm. And I learned to ascend and it really helped me. And to this day, alongside the stabilizing uh, effect of medication, meditation has allowed me to find sort of true happiness, I would say. Brilliant. Amazing. Um, I'm going to throw something at you now, which I didn't mention before we started recording, but um, so you might have to think on the spot. I don't know why I didn't tell you, but hey, it might come from the heart a little bit more. But um, every guest that I have on, I always ask them one question during our conversation. And that is what is, I think, I suppose it needs a name change sooner rather than later. But hey, ho, it's <laughs> called Trip of the Week. And basically the message is this podcast is listened to, hopefully, um, by people who might just be interested in it, might be going through something or might be young people that I work with that are just listening to it. And the trip of the week is really um, to say that it's okay to make a mistake or it's okay to fall down a little bit. It's about how you pick yourself back up and sort of celebrating mistakes a little bit and saying, Hey, this has happened, but we've moved past it. So if you're thinking in recent times, maybe the last week or two or whenever, what would you say your sort of trip of the week would be? Like where I've kind of made a mistake. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think these days my my mistakes would always be if I'm sort of overtired and a bit sort of feeling the side effects of of the medication and I, and I get grouchy with my wife or always someone else. That would always be my main main mistake these days. Yeah. Yeah. We use I've, I think I've had that one before very early on in series one. It was about um, being grouchy and I think we're all a bit capable of that from time to time aren't we um but thank you for that because i just threw that at this you well i know i know the solution to it as well um the solution is saying sorry 
Yeah. Yeah. But saying sorry in a way where I actually just said, like, I'm really sorry that I was, uh, I was so grouchy instead of saying sorry with, um, with excuses, mm. because that's not a proper sorry. If I say, oh, I'm really sorry. I have, you know, I have, uh, I take medication, I have these side effects, whatever. It's not, that's not really a proper sorry. A real proper sorry is I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. And when you reflected on that situation, I think that proper sorry can come out a lot better as well, can it? Um, so coming towards the end of the conversation, um, another question that I want to ask you has just popped into my head. For all the experiences that you've had, you know, from age of 17 being diagnosed and the experiences in Australia, writing the book and everything, what would you say the main I suppose lesson that you've learned is or the, the main positive takeaway from your entire experience that you would you would say yes this is all that's happened and this is the main thing I take away from it well I think the main thing I take away from it is that I started my career or whatever at school I, like my kind of ambition became really obvious at school that I wanted to be a success and make money and buy a place on the beach in Thailand and find peace and whatever um and now my definition of success is becoming more loving, more kind, more myself, uh, contributing to the people around me and to society in general. So I would say I've gone from being a pretty superficial, uh, superficially ambitious into really, really knowing what my values are and living a life that's much more based on love. Mm. Yeah, so that's, and, and bipolar has done that to me. I mean, it battered me down. And I think I was one of these people who probably did need to be battered down. I was pretty, I was pretty pleased with myself. And, and I thought I knew it all when I was younger. And yeah, bipolar just said, no, you don't. You, you don't know nearly as much as you think. And you actually need to ask for help. You actually need to sometimes slow down a bit and actually just discuss what you're doing with your life and whether it's working or not. Yeah, what a beautiful, beautiful message. And I was just thinking in my head as you were saying that, you know, especially now more than ever um i think to have a definition of success of being your more of yourself and being more kind and more loving and doing everything that you can to to be that person i think is great and as you were saying that i was i always put out on instagram a little clip of the episode before or after i release it and i thought that is that's going to be the clip right there because that was a beautiful beautiful message so thanks so much um such a powerful story oliver you've been really honest and you've shared a lot which is probably a little bit more than some people might do when they have a book but I think this is going to be a really sort of a and eye opener to the different experiences that you've had and if hopefully people will will want to pick up your book and read more about your story I'm certainly going to do that myself so just a big thank you firstly for sending me the book that was very very kind um and, and taking time to speak to me this evening it's been been a pleasure to have you on the show um i'm sure it won't be the last that we hear from you i like to get guests on to the instagram and, and catch up with them and things like that but honestly a big big thank you for sharing your story and hopefully you can help help someone through this or help someone through your book and help to inspire and motivate um because you've certainly done that with with me so a big thank you oh thanks a lot will i really really enjoyed your interviewing and it was really it's great to see how genuine you are and authentic so thank you 
So there you go, everyone. A big thanks to Oliver for sharing his story on Let's Get Talking um, and for episode four. And thank you all for listening. As mentioned, you can purchase his brilliant book of positivity, recovery and much more through Amazon. And it's Befriending Bipolar, A Patient's Perspective. Please keep sharing and support and, of course, keep talking. Mental health needs to be at the forefront of all of our conversations. And remember, it's okay not to be okay. Reach out to someone you trust and seek help. I'm Tom. That was Series 2, Episode 4 of Let's Get Talking. And I'll see you next time for Episode 5.